not a second Put down your phone, welcome to the feckin' check-in show We might be playing Tekken in the techno-drome With Shredder and Spencer, but never Donatello The boys are back in town again, shenanigans from QO Man, the listener can't stop panicking Now tell your friends to listen to the sound of us pissing in the wind And if you feel like joining in, then do it for the win The sun shines, but I find myself in isolation But fear not, we've got beer at the cooking station Audio and video flows are coming for you The trainer at Jimmy show, it's cameras action doom the feckin' checkin', so check your feckin' pulses Lentils, soybeans, chickpeas, whatever indulgence Takes your fancy snakes, ladders, or piss politics Just sit back and relax, we got your weekly fix It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show it's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack should do. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Feckin' Check-In. My name is Trainer and with me is my co-host, uh, Toomey. That is my name. <laughs> I've nearly called you something else there, but go on. Yes, uh, I am more than persevering. I, I could even go as far as to say I am well. Uh, it's coming towards the end of April. I think we're more than halfway through the lockdown, and I'm a bit more optimistic than I was this time last week. And uh, yeah, how are you? Okay, I'll go back to what some of the things you said there in a second. Uh, I would have to say I'm somewhat disconsolate this afternoon. Disconsolate? This consulate, yes, to go back to a word you used on Openus where I had never heard it before uh, at that point, but now I've adapted it or adopted it into my vocabulary. Uh, yes, uh, I went over to Centre to get a roll and some jambons and other stuff because I'm fiercely hungover. And uh, they didn't they didn't have any lettuce. Ah, uh, oh no, lettuce. It's a, it's a fundamental ingredient of a roll, iceberg lettuce for, for me. Um, yeah, and do you know what? People are like, oh, oh first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have any lot of <laughs> first world problems. There was no. people saying that to you in the shop. <laughs> no, people were saying it to me in my head in a story I made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't, subscri- I don't subscribe to that bullshit model anyway. Just because I happen to have been born in the first world doesn't mean that I walk around carrying this guilt with me for the rest of my life. So yeah, they had no fucking lettuce and I'm pissed off about it. Um, and at times like this, I think you need some divine inspiration. Mm-hmm. Let us pray. Dear God. Okay. Uh, wait, you, so you, you boldly claim there in your intro that we're more than halfway through the lockdown. Where are you, where are you getting this? <laughs> Claptrap. <laughs> I'm just spouting it out as fact. You know the way everyone gets their hands on some sort of information or data and then suddenly they're an expert. Well, I'm doing that. I'm mansplaining. I'm doing the whole lot. I'm projecting. I'm conjecting. I'm hypothesizing, I'm speculating, I'm doing all of the above, and I don't really have a clue. But it feels at the same time to me that I'm right. Well, if it, if it feels that you're right... Yes, I am right. <laughs> then you are right. Quite right. <laughs> Quite right, sir. Now, before we get into this week's feckin' check-in, the weekly check-in uh, about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth, the feck acronym, let me ask you, Professor T, what was going on last night? Because I've seen you in several videos in karaoke style, belting out several songs. So, so what happened last night in your life? Christ, yeah. So um, drank drank a lot of gin and then went on a walk, drank the gin, walked with my housemate, uh, Maya, and then we decided to go back to the apartment and do some YouTube karaoke. YouTube karaoke. So that's uh, where you put on a video on YouTube that is like a karaoke video that you'd have on a karaoke machine. And it has the backing tracks of popular songs and you uh, the, the lyrics come up and you sing along to them. So that's what we were doing for several hours last night into the wee, wee small hours of the morning. The wee hours. And yes, you started off in the Phoenix Park. Some... Uh Undercover drinking. Phoenix Park, undercover drinking, uh, less than two kilometers away from where we live. <clears throat> um, and yeah, so we were. I was drinking gin. There's been a bottle of gin hanging around, lingering in my apartment for months. Um, I bought it. Uh, I, had, I had a female of the opposite sex over uh, for a date, and she drank gin. And uh, I've been trying to get rid, of, <laughs> get rid of the rest of the gin since then. And uh, I mixed it with blue uh, Powerade. Blue Powerade and gin. <laughs> Yeah, that's a it's a trainer special. It is indeed. Um, so it seems to have done the trick though, because you were really getting into the karaoke. 
Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did a um, a wide array of songs. Uh, I did a bit of Cat Stevens, um, which we've talked about before. Father and Son, one of my favourite songs, and I did a bit of Anastasia. Do you remember Anastasia? Anastasia sounds mildly familiar. Was she a somewhat popular? solo singer from the late 1990s early 2000s similar in in a way to Shania Twain yeah I tell you're on the right track there she was a female singer long blonde hair straight blonde hair and glasses don't know if she had a prescription for them but she wore glasses nonetheless and uh, yeah she had a mild little a tiny little bit of country to her song so uh, the song I was doing yesterday was uh all my life I've been waiting for you to bring a fairy tale my way. I'm living in a fantasy without meaning. That's not okay. So, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> something okay. like that. Apropos of nothing, you've you've uh, burst out into song. Fair enough. And uh, what's surprising to me about that is that I never knew you liked Anastasia, and secondly, you knew her song well enough to uh, to belt it out all these years later. It must be over 20 years later. Well, see, the thing about me is that uh, pop music from my youth sticks with me. It's ingrained in my brain, um, and that's that's one of those songs. That was out in maybe 2000, I'd say. Um, so 90s and 2000s pop music, is it's, that's with me for life. That's, guilty guilty pleasure, in a sense. I, f- I feel no guilt. <laughs> Here's a question for you to see if you feel guilty. To okay. test the theory. Name a song from a really cringy boy band from that time that you secretly liked. Um, so, I mean, I like a few Westlife songs. Um, Correct. So I say a little prayer. Pray my dreams will take me there. Where the skies are blue, will see you once again, my love. <laughs> Well, you're in singing form, in flying form this this morning, uh, Fergal. Oh, traitor. Uh, as you can see, I'm flustered. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for for sampling those those old songs. My guilty pleasure was Westlife's Flying Without Wings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the, fuck, here's the fucking thing. Those songs are really catchy. And it's from an era where you're exposed to the radio. The radio's on constantly, wherever you are. I mean... To go around, it's like first world problems. Oh, my guilty pleasure. (laughs) I'm not allowed to like popular music because there's something wrong with that. Bollocks. Uh, Here, is your window open there? Because I can hear birds left, right and center. Yeah, the window is open. Should I I close it? Well, the birds are quite uh, prominent on your feed there. Do you know what? I had a bit of a thought before the podcast started and I'm kind of liked the birds myself and I thought the listener might enjoy them. The birds are singing. It's it's late spring. It's, it, we're coming into the summer. Um, so enough of that claptrap. Uh, let us move on to the point of this show. This is the feckin' check-in. Check-in. As I said, it's a weekly check-in between two Irish lads, two old friends who check in around funny observations, entertainment, culture and kernels of truth. And, trainer, will you lead us out on the first funny observation. So here's here's something I've noticed on social media. Let me know if you have noticed this as well, right? Something like this, and I've, I've written it down here. So uh, it's a, it's usually a tweet, maybe, or maybe a Facebook post, or maybe a, a, an image that's posted and reposted tire, uh, endlessly. After lockdown, remember who checked in on you, texted you, supported you. Do you remember? Have you seen have you seen this type of shit? <laughs> I haven't seen that exact wording, but I I know that genre. What is this bollocks? Uh, so it's like it's like it's like the kind of phrase I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. That's kind of what it reminds me of. It's like what is this passive aggressive shit? It's all over social media. It's like remember who checked in on you after lockdown? Woe betide anyone who didn't check in on you. Uh, what 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 are you gonna do? What about the people who didn't check in? You? What are you gonna do with them? You gonna discard them from your life? Are you gonna are they gonna suffer some harm uh, as a result of this as not checking in on you in lockdown? It's this fucking shit, and people just repost it without thinking. It's like, oh, remember those who checked in on you? It's like, what the? What, what are you talking about? Stop being so bloody passive aggressive on the internet for no reason. It reminds me of that whole genre about remove toxic people from your life. Oh my Christing fuck! I'd like. Do you ever see like this is a constant feature on some people's social media? It's like, why do you have so many toxic people in your life? I don't have any toxic people in my life, and I never had somebody who I would describe as toxic in my. Have you? 
describe as toxic. There was there was one Gaelic football manager <laughs> from years ago that I would have called toxic, but I think that was a lot of it was down to my own shit, my own lack of confidence, and my own finding myself as a teenager and, and looking for a scapegoat. I think. Yeah, and I find there's certain people who just post this type of nonsense all the time. It's like, oh, toxic toxicity. It's like, why 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 do you have so many toxic people in your life? Maybe maybe the fucking root of the problem is you. The book stops. And I think as you get older, it's, it's, it's not really an adult way of looking at relationships or people to say, oh, they let me down. They stabbed me in the back. That toxic person. Yeah, toxic. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Woe be tie. I like that, that use of that as well. Yes, thank you, Mrs. Kavanagh. Okay, yes. <laughs> You've named her and shamed her. Uh, anyway, that's my uh, funny observation for week week two. Funny observation. I have mine now and uh, from the week. And this week, for trainer, I nearly called your first name again. I can call me whatever the fuck you want. As long as you don't call me late for, late for supper. Bollocks. Fuck that <laughs> up. All right. All right. Uh, I, this week, and this isn't that funny, to be honest. <laughs> but it's more of a, a statement of fact of what happened. I ordered two skipping ropes this week for myself and my fiance Liz because we wanted to get into skipping and we thought it would be straightforward enough. The skipping ropes would come and then we would do our skipping and etc. We'd have the best time of our lives. So the skipping rope came after about a week. Uh, it wasn't too much of a delay on it, the two skipping ropes. Mm-hmm. And what I learned that I found funny peculiar to get me out of jail for the whole humour, the lack of humour in this anecdote, was that the skipping ropes are not at the right length. They come with a huge length of rope. And it's up to you as the user to have wire cutters and to cut the ropes <laughs> to the right length for you. So someone who's never used skipping rope before, you, you, the onus of you, and they just have it in the instructions in both of the skipping ropes, which are from different brands, was, oh yeah, uh, pull down the, the end of the rope, and un, un, unscrew it, and then get wire cutters and cut off the, the rope. I was like, I don't have wire cutters. I'm not <laughs> Mike Hermitrite out of Breaking Bad. <laughs> Who has just wire cutters? The audacity, the audacity of that. But it, they, they, it was like, it's, it seems like the most normal thing in the world. And, and why, why would I want to get rid of that rope? Maybe I want to, to lend that to somebody who wants more rope. Or, for example, Liz is shorter than me, so she's going to use much less of the rope. So if I cut it for her, then that's that rope fucked. Yeah. And so, uh, Jesus Christ. Bizarre stuff. So now I have to order wire cutters. Ah, oh, fucking, that's how they get you. That's, that's how they get you, yeah. Toxic. <laughs> These snakes. Uh, okay, I think uh, Two-Face Fake Snakes of the Week goes to the skipping rope company who, who expect you to have wire cutters handy. <laughs> yeah, and I look up loads of videos on it, and they were just like, this is the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, find out the right length of the rope for yourself, bring the ends of the rope up to your chest, and then adjust it, and then get the wire cutters, and you just, it's a simple cut, and here's my wire cutters here. Like, who has wire cutters? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know what? What's funny is, like you said there, somebody who's never obviously you're ordering a skipping rope because you don't have one, uh, yet they expect you to have the paraphernalia required to alter a skipping rope. Yeah, <laughs> and it's nowhere. It's not an add-on option to the the product. It's it's just assumed that you have it. So, so that that put us back a bit. So now we're in a, into a a two-week process uh, before being able to skip. That's madness, madness altogether. Uh, yeah. Okay, all right, excellent. Funny observations there. Do you know what this kind of reminds me? Did you, were you a fan of um, Alan Partridge ever? Uh, vaguely, but go on. So there's a series, um, I'm Alan Partridge, season two. Uh, it was out around 2002, and at the time in the season, in the series, he's a radio broadcaster, but he has all these segments on his show, and he plays a little sound effect for each one, so I feel like that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, so there's one bit, it's like, Alan's deep bath, and it goes, Alan's deep bath. Anyway, for for the listener there, he might have been a fan of uh, Alan. Jesus, what am I talking about? Alan Partridge, uh, circa two thousand two. To clarify, are you talking about the changes from like the F to the E to the C to the K that we have one of those? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, will you do one then for the next section then? Entertainment. Uh, yeah. There, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Um, right. So I have one here. Uh, I don't. I have a couple of points on entertainment. So I'll, I'll get through them quickly. But one of them is just an ad, right? An ad from television. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch traditional television too often. I'd say you're probably similar. Um, so 
Not in years, no. Yeah, for example, I rarely watch ads anymore because I have either Netflix or I've series linked something and I'm fast forwarding through the ads or I'm watching on demand on Sky. And for some reason with on demand on Sky, you can fast forward the ad, so it's great. Um, But the odd time, you'll switch on something and maybe an episode of Friends or whatever and you might suffer through the ads. Um, And there's this fucking M&M ad, right? This is the most bizarre ad I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's just out there hiding in plain sight acting like it's a normal ad it's not though and it's been around for a while so basically the the, the ad is set up like this uh a woman is in bed with an m&m right now this <laughs> <Okay>. this this <laughs> m&m has arms and legs and can talk and has an american accent so a woman is in bed with an m&m insinuating that they're about to have sex or have had sex there's sexual overtones undertones tones okay. to it a man comes in and catches the woman in bed with the m&m the insinuation is he is her partner, her human partner, as opposed to her M&M partner. Walks in and uh, he catches her with the M&M under the covers and then accuses her and says, you were going to eat him without me, weren't you? So there, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? So a woman is in bed with a human form M&M that can talk. So the insinuation is she's had sex with or is going to have sex with the M&M. Then her partner comes in, her actual sexual partner, and ac- accuses her of about being about to eat the M&M before he arrived home. You were going to eat him without me, weren't you? So she's not, in, she's not in fact, going to have sex with this human form M&M. She's going to eat it as a, like a regular M&M. But then you're asking yourself, why is the M&M able to speak and why does it have arms and legs? And why is it in bed with her? Why would you, why would you bring a chocolate treat to bed with you and be looking all like sexy and fucking flirty with it? Uh, that's not how I eat chocolate. I don't know anyone who does bring sweets into bed and start flirting with them. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and then then another fucking Eminem comes out of the wardrobe right and is like hey Todd's home early or whatever the fuck his name is um, and that's the punchline is in he's too late to tell the other Eminem that the guy's home early so she's got an Eminem in bed with her that she looks like she's gonna have sex with uh, she's got another Eminem in the wardrobe and the partner comes home and catches her and uh, gives out to her for that the fact that she's going to eat the M&M without him. It's fucking absolutely mental. And I don't know how more people aren't <laughs> commenting on this. I've seen that ad, actually, yeah. And I, I've never really looked at it that way. It's There's a lot going on there. I mean, she seems to have enticed the M&M into bed. But they're not having sex. She she seems to have eaten part of him already, Is it, if I remember correctly. Is that is that right? Uh, she's eaten his head, I think. A, a small bit of his head. Possibly. I can't remember if there's a bite out of him or not. That just even makes it more weird. Um, but she's lured him into her bed and she's going to eat him and he'll surely die. And there's another M&M in the closet, like safeguarding this, this, uh, this torture. Yeah, and it's like, and it's all sexual. The whole ad is sexualized. It's a sexualization of M&Ms. Uh, it's fucking mental. And torture. <laughs> And torture and cannibalism. I mean, if you want to go down that road. Uh, I mean, the, the M&M has been passed off as a human because, like, it can speak English and has an American accent and has arms and legs. It's And there's a whole thing about... Uh, there's a hostage undertone there as well, like a gimp uh, from Pulp Fiction. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's, there is a lot going on there in that ad, so I don't think I'll ever look at that the same again. I, I, how did that get past the drawing board? Like, what, what were they pitching in the room? Ah, oh, she's fucking an M&M, and then this guy comes home and catches her, and uh, there's another M&M who's on the lookout. It's fucking mental. Anyway, that's, that's why entertainment... Another thing I wanted to mention quickly, I mentioned it last week, but I'd like to say it again very quickly. I'll go through it quickly. Um, Alan Avril uh, from Primordial, or Avril as he pronounces his own name, has a podcast now. It's called Agitators Anonymous. And uh, this is the singer from Primordial. They're an Irish metal band. But uh, he, was tell- he tells basically some interesting stories from ba- the band's early days. And one that I thought you might relate to yourself. Um, where they, the first time they played the Wacken Festival, which is in Germany, uh, in 1998. It's the biggest metal festival in the world. It was a bit smaller back then. But um, basically, the lads hadn't got a fucking notion what they were doing. Had never played a live gig in Europe before, other than anywhere other than Ireland. Didn't know what the fuck monitors were. Didn't know what speakers were. Didn't know anything about sound mixing. Uh, 
and he had forgotten to set his watch in fact to German time so when the band was announced of who was going to be on stage next it was in fact primordial and he was a, a member of the audience at the time watching as his band were scrambling to set up their gear uh, so lots of interesting anecdotes like that from a band who hadn't got a fucking clue what they're doing um, he talks about another another time when he went to a European festival he had 200 euro to spend for the entire uh, festival and he spent 120 euro of that on ecstasy on the first day <laughs> and uh, ended up ended up taking a lot of ecstasy and drinking absinthe but it's really really funny anecdotes um from like back in the late 1990s early 2000s uh, and it's it's very good very interesting podcast so that's another entertainment nugget from me for this week and do you think it's a, it has crossover appeal for non-heavy metal Bye. definitely yeah definitely because like just even the whole monitors thing i remember like when we started trying to use monitors we hadn't got a fucking notion what they were um just the setting up of equipment the just stupidity the drinking the uh lack of professionalism with, uh, and stuff like that it's just very very funny anecdotes from like a band who hadn't got a really had not a clue what they were doing back in the early days um so yeah it's quite quite I'm interesting gonna, i'm gonna check that out that sounds really good what was the name again just one more time agitators anonymous Agitators Anonymous. Okay, brilliant. Okay. And my E for this week is not ecstasy. My... (laughs) Oh, my jokes are getting worse. Uh, Better Call Saul, the season five, ended this week. Did you you watch the final episode yourself? I did. I've been uh, keeping up with it, yeah. Uh, Excellent stuff, but I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, the uh, the final episode I thought was uh, brilliant. Um, It really gave a lot of depth to the Lalo character it's coming to the end of uh, five series i think there's going to be one more and um, so i just wanted to my e for this week is just highlighting what a good series that has been and how much i enjoyed that that final show that final episode uh, especially the scene where uh, there's a standoff with guns and i won't give away any spoilers and stuff but i so that's my first point on it that it's been a, a brilliant uh, um series and the thing about it, though, it's always been bittersweet for me. <laughs> and because it's, because it's a prequel to, to Breaking Bad, you know part of the ending already. So you know that Saul, because it's before Breaking Bad, you know that he goes on to be a lawyer and that he meets, that, that he and Gustavo work together in the future. So you know already what's going to happen with Lalo. Um, or you have an idea what's going to happen with Lalo. Because one of the, the, the cliffhangers at the end was was kind of pointing to what's Lalo going to do now. But I found this throughout the series. It, it takes away about 1% of the enjoyment probably from every scene because it's, I just can't get it out of the back of my mind. It's just like, yeah, but this is a prequel. You know what's going to happen. It's, almost, it's, it's, mildly, it's mildly stressful because I'm kind of like, okay, this is great, but can we now get to the future again? Yeah. The, best, the best scenes of, of Better Call Saul that I've actually felt liberated were the ones where it, it, the flash forwards to when he's kind of in hiding after Breaking Bad. And yes. I'm just like, I'm so relieved. This is actually real time now. I don't have to be back in the past. I don't know uh, how you've uh, found that struggle with uh, pre prequel yes a prequel series as well i haven't i haven't heard somebody put it like that but i can completely relate to what you're saying and i have i didn't realize i had but i have felt that stress myself as well <laughs> uh, and yeah the, the future flash forward scenes are fucking liberating they're like whoo okay right okay he's he's gene he's in the cinnabon it's all good it's grand i remember this i remember he had to go into hiding uh yeah, you have to ring up and order the vacuum and all that shit. Uh, but yeah, uh, it it is kind of stressful, and you're kind of going, "What the fuck happens to Kim?" Obviously, she's going to die because he never mentions her in his entire career in fucking or his entire character arc in Better Call Saul. Yeah, and that that speculation takes away part of the suspense because you know something happens to to Kim. Either they break up, or she she dies, or she goes mad, or something like. Whereas if we were watching it in real time, we wouldn't know that, and every scene would be suspense, more suspenseful. I would, th- I would think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and you're you're thinking the same about Nacho. You're thinking the same about Lalo, and you're kind of going, none of these characters are featured in Breaking Bad. So, and then do you know another thing that kind of gets to me as well is the age of all the characters is really distracting because yes. Mike Mike looks a hundred now, and uh, like he looked seventy in Breaking Bad, but now he looks a hundred, and now you're kind of going. I went and watched a random episode of season four of Breaking Bad for no reason whatsoever the other day, and Gustavo was in it, and Mike was in it. It was the one where he slits the guy's throat, throat in the uh, factory. Do you remember that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and like the the guy himself features in Better Call Saul. So does Mike. So does um, uh, Gustavo, and they all looked so fucking young as well. That's another thing I can't shake out of my head. I'm looking at Gustavo, and they're like they're giving him a bit more hair, and they're making sure his hair is black. 
uh, as opposed to graying and everything but you're like yeah but like that's not enough he looks old <laughs> he looks yeah. fucking old and like. even Saul it's really distracting you're, I'm kind of looking at him and thinking he's lost a lot of weight there compared to late, later Breaking Bad or it seems like he has and I, it just it's, he's probably doing that because he's trying to look younger and they have his hair done differently and he's like real tanned and stuff but you can't really hide the the old age that much so it's that's for me is distracting and then with mike uh, there is that scene where he fights off three or four gang members who are near near where he lives when he's walking home and it's just unrealistic yeah it's like robert de niro in the fucking um irishman the irishman beating yeah. up loads of lads yeah and he's nearly 80 <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to know how old mike is actually i'd say he's fucking probably nearly 80 as well um yeah so it's yeah it's it, it is kind of distracting but overall i still think it's an excellent show i have to say um and i would say without the distraction and the stress of the prequel aspect to it i'd say it's as good as breaking bad yeah i think so aside from that that caveat and one one other niggling nig, niggling 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 that i want to raise about uh, better call Saul is that vince galligan or gilligan 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 i would love to see him put his expertise and his his team of writers put their expertise to something completely new because he, with the development of characters such as Lalo and Nacho in Better Call Saul he's proven that he doesn't rely on Walter White or or Gus or whoever he can come up with new characters who are just as compelling yeah very good point I think Chuck and Kim were excellent characters as well uh, two of the people in well Chuck was in early uh, better call Saul but that Chuck was fucking fantastic a brilliant character that's one regret is Vince Gilligan had t- taken these five years and, compl- and developed something completely different uh, what would he have come up with and I think he'll feel liberated when he's free from Better Call Saul but that's just me projecting myself my own thoughts onto him <laughs> if you want to watch some of his earlier stuff he directed a number of episodes of The X-Files which is where he actually met um Fucking Walter White, what's his name again? Brian Cranston. Uh, there's a really, really good episode of The X Files with Brian Cranston in it, and he has like, um, like a kind of a headache or a brain injury or something, and he can't stop driving, and he has to drive really fast to ease it. And the whole episode is just tension, um, from the very start of it until the very end of it. Really, really good. This is halfway through the show, so this is the part where we have our song of the week. Uh, you did the song from last week, and this week is my choice. And the song of the week this week, song of the week this week, <laughs> is <laughs> from a rapper called MF Doom, uh, who uh, was born in England, uh, but he was raised in Long Island, New York. He was born in the 70s. Uh, he wears a metal, metallic mask over his face and his identity has been uh, concealed. But he's had several underground albums and this was uh, from the first one I ever became aware of. It was The album was called Mmm Food. So it was a concept album about food, each song uh, related to food. Um, and I'm going to pick out one song relevant from that album. It's called Deep Fried, Deep Fried Friends uh, because I think... Uh, at this time with the coronavirus we all got to stick together as friends and this is a song from MF Doom breaking down friendships and the different intricacies involved as you call them they call you when they need something trees for the blunt to G's for the front I found a way to get peace of mind for years and left the hell alone turn a deaf ear to the cellular phone send me a letter or better we can see each other in real life just so you can feel me like a steel knife at least so you can see the white of their eyes Bright with surprise once they finish spitting lies Associates, is your boys, your girls, bitches, niggas, homies Close, but really don't know me Mom, dad, comrade, peeps, brothers, sisters, duns, dunnies Some come around when they need some money Others make us laugh like the Sunday funnies Fan be around whether you pay the bummy You can either ignore this advice or take it from me Be too nice, some people take you for a dummy So nowadays he ain't so friendly Actually they wouldn't even made a worthy enemy Read the signs, no feeding the baboons Seeing as how they got your back bleeding from the stab wounds Y'all know the dance, they smile in your face Y'all know the glance, try to put them on, they blow the chance Never let your so-called mans know your plan A show of hands is a term some people use loosely I'm real choosy on what I choose to let crew see You telling me Try to act broke Jealousy the number one killer among black folk Fellas be under some type of spell like crack smoke Ghetto Cinderella's lead them right to your stack low Just another way a chick will lead to your end I checked the dictionary for the meaning of friends and said 
person one likes to socialize with and sympathize a helper and that's about the size of it most of the time these attributes is one-sided to most of the crime they have to shoot you through your eyelid and they can't hide it going wild like a wow bitch sometimes you need to cut niggas off like a light switch and when things get quiet Catch him like a thief in the night, what a right I first met Mr. Fantastic at an arms deal Don't let it get drastic, think of how your moms will feel When they get for real, still get the sparkin' Everything darkin', it ain't no talkin' For something so cheap, so it buys a lot of trouble They better off focusin' and trying to plot the bubble Or else it'd be a sad note to end on The guns we got is... Okay, um, good stuff. Song of the week there from MF Doom. Okay, so we're moving on now. So the next one, which is one I struggle with, to be honest with you, is culture. Um, but we're fucked now. We're locked into the acronym. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be doing this for the next year. I've a recurring calendar invitation in your calendar for the next 51 weeks. So, um, yeah, culture. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with office culture, okay? Because it's the easiest way I can uh, shoehorn in something to do with culture into the podcast. But... You know, the word culture, the word culture does have many different meanings and office culture, office culture is certainly one. So I have found that people have very little ability to be concise. And I've noticed this since (laughs) I've been on uh, Zoom calls and Skype calls for work purposes. And I think it's, I don't know where the fuck it comes from, but the culture of conciseness is not out there. It doesn't exist. So maybe we're, maybe we're the fucking same here. And as far as I know, but like. I've been on loads of calls recently with Skype. Um, Skype is the app we use in, EF, in my company. Uh, I nearly said it there. Um, and uh, Nobody can just fucking make a point to move on. They have to fucking uh, pad it out left and right and beforehand and afterwards and repeat the same thing over and over and over again. And there's absolutely no culture of conciseness on Skype calls or on calls in general in offices, i found. What I find is that people like to drag meetings out to an hour. So if it's scheduled for an hour, people like to get their full hour's worth out of it. Do you you ever find that? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes there's that. But also it's just they feel bad, I think, almost, leaving a point out there to see what happens to it without padding it out with bullshit on both ends. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or what, but they can't just say ABC, EFG. And just leave it at that. They have to be like an A and A and A and B and B and B and of course C, C and D as well. And that's a concern. And F and G. And they just fucking pat, pat the fucking thing out with bollocks <laughs> on either end. And it's just it just ends up going on forever and ever. And I find it's hard to get a word in, actually, on, on a lot of these calls I'm on. Because people aren't leaving natural gaps and natural breaks in the conversation in order for you to get your word in. So you're just fighting like a fucking dog trying to for, for scraps, scraps of dead air that you can kind of get a little point in around this padded out bollocks that could have been said in like a quarter of the time. Do you think it's worse with online than, than face-to-face? Yeah, 100%. Sorry, and it's a very much... A, a, a symptom of the current situation um <laughs> but yeah it's basically because we all have to talk to each other on skype calls or whatever system or application you're using but yeah but it, people are just afraid to just leave their little points out there and throw them out and move on they have to I, and i'm doing this now and i'm very conscious of it. i've repeated the same thing three times <laughs> <laughs> you proved the point yeah but i'm trying to uh, get this across to the listener um but yeah that's my that's my point there culture of conciseness there is none there's no there's no conciseness out there and let's be concise on that. Let's just leave it at that. Right you are. Right you are. So my C for culture this week is some a topic that is close to both of our hearts, uh, which is white rappers, the culture of white rappers. And I want to talk in particular about a certain type of white rapper that's emerged in the last couple of years. That uh, What reminded me of this was from our friend, uh, the Green Lantern, otherwise known as Kevin Daly. He sent us on a funny video of a rapper uh, called MC Hammersmith, who uh, who did his his kind of shtick was I'm middle class yet I'm going to rap and I'm going to rap like this because I'm in the coronavirus and I have nothing else to do and then he does a rap and you can tell he's actually able to rap okay but he's deliberately his gimmick is like I'm middle class and I'm rapping. 
empty from the top down When I look across town Living in a compound City is on lockdown Trying to contain all the sickness inside But I gotta be letting it out That's why I'm spitting these rhymes Had a lot of thoughts in self-isolation Like could I ever be the next rhyme sensation? What an ambition I'm posh and from Britain But to ponder my vision Here's some tosh that I've written I'm intergalactic and Mr. Fantastic My lyrics are magic and quick and erratic My spit is elastic My liver is plastic And so fucking hard the medics are metallic And women are frantic and sinister tactic And ripping the fabric of freaking semantics And this is a classic and shit's are dramatic I'm very dead on the flipping Jurassic I'm polite but I still spit a vulgar rap I'm street but the street is a cul-de-sac Posh and gangster That is my fashion I've never smoked crack But I have smoked salmon For flipping Okay yeah right okay Nice little clip there I, I, I assume you have more points to make about this So I won't uh, interrupt The whole The culture of the music Was to break through oppression and I, I guess because of that, there was some exclusion of the people, the, the white uh, people who were oppressing. It was usually white people or rich people. Um, so it's kind of come full circle now where, where the, the middle class, this is 25 years later or whatever or more, where the, the white oppressors who were the initial target of the music are now taking the piss out of the music um, with a whole gimmick that I'm white and I can still rap and I can do this. And I just think think it's it's funny the way they rap and it's kind of surprising that white middle class people from England can do this but at the same time it's I find it a bit insulting. Are you really getting into the area of cultural appropriation here? <laughs> <laughs> I think I in, am. In earnest. Now, in earnest, I'm getting into it. Now, I just want to say that we were white rappers back in the <laughs> early 2000s. Sorry, that's an in-joke for the new listener, uh, referring to particular periods of time. Um, but our whole gimmick wasn't that we're white and we're rapping. Our whole gimmick was we're ourselves and we're, we're rapping. We're Irish and we're rapping. We're, we're rapping about things that we think about what we would normally say in certain situations, the topics that were of interest to us. And we were, we were trying um, in our failed rap career to at least produce earnest music in a way well i think i think the thing is we didn't have a gimmick our gimmick wasn't that we're white rappers and look at us we're white rappers doing what the black people usually do yeah yeah no well i did i never certainly felt like i had a gimmick it was just a vehicle to produce music and lyrics and content or whatever uh so it wasn't like oh i have to be switched on or turned on to this particular character or or yeah, to go back to the word gimmick, that was never it for me. And I don't think for you either. Like when it comes back to it, like for any type of music, you should just be yourself. You shouldn't be responding to a gimmick or uh, taking the piss or thinking about your background. You should just produce music from your heart. That's what I think. Well, here's a question, a quick question. Has there ever been any heavy metal bands like this where they deliver their gimmick is we're heavy metal oh we're taking the piss out of heavy metal yes there has and there's one that's quite popular at the moment called steel panther um, even the name you can tell is, is a piss take but all of these people now some of them i think are in their 40s and maybe even some of them are in their 50s now but they've become very popular on the festival circuit they're american and they've all been in different bands before so at, at previous points in their lives they were taking music seriously but now they wear like spandex and leotards and uh, animal print stage costumes and cat suits and all that type of shit and all of their songs are complete piss takes and um, they have a song called just like tiger woods and it's about like womanizing and that type of stuff um but like i i don't think the joke is that funny uh personally and it, it wears pretty thin pretty quickly for me so while the musicianship is quite good and they can play guitars and they can sing and all that type of stuff it's like you watch one or two highlight clips from download on sky arts or something be like ha that's funny but then after a while it's just like it wears quite thin another band that you, who you will be familiar with is tenacious d that's their whole gimmick as well really it's uh, completely taking the piss out of rock and metal yeah at the same time they're very good musicians and jack black is quite a good singer and um Kyle Gass is quite a good guitarist. It's just, for me, I could only listen to one album and then the joke kind of, the joke was over for me where they have actually three or four albums and they're still doing it to this day. So yeah, I, I, I find I have a, a low tolerance level for that type of stuff. Yeah, it, wear, it seems to wear thin uh, quite quickly. Uh, the Rubber Bandits come to mind as well as talented musicians and rappers and, and singers, but they decided to kind of go through a jokey um 
a kind of perspective on how to make their music. Um, and this white English rapper was kind of taking it to the next level where he wasn't just doing that, he was kind of going against the cultural origins of the music, which was a bit too much for me. In fairness, we did a bit of that ourselves. We did the humorous songs um, and those were often often the most popular ones that we did. <laughs> but, but I couldn't continue to write those type of songs or those type of lyrics over and over again because the, we, we went, as Jim Ross would say, we went to the well once too often and eventually the well becomes dry. Yeah, that's a good way to put it from Jim Ross. And I think you don't want to do it even as a musician anymore. You don't want to write songs like that. You actually, you want to, what happened to us is we tried to find maybe more serious songs in the rapping, but they turned out to be less popular. So Yes, <laughs> yes they did. There's all sorts of lessons in there. Somebody can yeah. fucking filter through them and find them out. Yeah. And tell us what they Take are. Take out one point that, that's relevant to you out of that rambling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to kernels of truth or kernels of wisdom. I kind of prefer kernels of wisdom, actually. I don't know if it's a more common phrase than kernels of truth, but uh, I've, I found one this week, um, and it was from... Now, I, I'm going to reference... This, this is quite layered okay what i'm gonna say here <laughs> well it's not really actually sorry that's that's making it sound more intelligent than it is so it's a it's a, a podcast i listen to so it's called the power slam podcast and it's a uh, findley martin and uh, kenny mcintosh so kenny mcintosh runs live events where you uh, have a spoken word thing with a wrestler so he interviews a wrestler um, and he runs those in the uk and ireland and uh, Findlay Martin was the editor of Power Slam magazine, which was my favorite magazine ever, a wrestling magazine back in the 2000s that I used to read. And uh, they have a podcast now. The magazine is out of business nowadays. And um, he, Finn, Finn often says things that are um, like quotes or sayings. Now, they're not his own words and not things that he came up with himself. But he said one that really stuck with me. Uh, on a recent episode and then I couldn't remember who had said it so I couldn't remember if I'd heard it on a Skype call from work or I couldn't remember if I'd heard it on a podcast and then and then I couldn't remember if it was on the Agitators Anonymous podcast and I was just like fuck who actually said this point because I wanted to reference who it was so I, I Skyped or I, sorry I Facebook messaged Finn and asked him and he said it was him who said it but he said it was actually William Friedkin who came up with the actual quote itself. So I'm just going to say it's uh, to do with Hollywood and the film business. And it's a uh, success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Oh, I don't know if you've ever heard that one before. <laughs> no, I've never heard that one before. So that's uh, Finn Martin via William Friedkin. William Friedkin uh, was the director of uh, that fucking Gene Hackman film, uh, The French Connection. And also, I think The Exorcist as well. Um, but yeah, he's a well-known film director. And he's basically talking about the movie business in where um, success is many parents, failure is an orphan. So people want to take credit for something that's a success. But when something's a failure, failure, it's completely disowned and no one wants to talk about it or, or have any part in it. Uh, and I've definitely noticed the success having many fathers thing in, in my own job and in my own life. Um, often when something and maybe it starts out as something that people didn't think was going to be successful and then it's a surprise success. And that's where you see this thing kind of happening where people uh, will start taking credit or claiming that they were there at the time or that was their idea or they had creative input into something. Um, have you found this yourself in your life? Have you come across this? I think, yeah, people taking credit is uh, it's very common. And does, does it relate to you and your, your screenwriting uh, career that you're, you're kind of getting into? I can't, I can't say that it does, but I'm, I'm, I'm wary of it, put it that way. <laughs> I'm wary of it in that... Uh, I just from even the early classes I've done and stuff like uh, Hollywood seems like it's a uh, kind of it's kind of it could be quite um, what like there was one thing like Hollywood I don't even I don't believe I just used the word Hollywood there <laughs> Jesus Christ Almighty <laughs> but uh, the, the guy who does the instructor of the class has written screenplays and submitted them and sold them and directed films and or had films made on a screenplay so um, interesting. And uh, so he's got quite a lot of experience and um, he was basically saying how people steal people's ideas and it's pretty common and it's really based on whoever's film gets made first is the creator of an idea. So it seems like a bit cutthroat in a way. Uh, and like, let's say you center, I mean, in order to get your screenplay uh, optioned or made, you have to send it around to loads of people. And of course, you can't copyright a fucking idea. Uh, you can copyright something very specific, but you can't copyright a broad idea. So, so many, like 20 people could be reading your screen, screenplay and they could be showing it to 20 other people. And all of a sudden, there's hundreds of people who've read this before it ever gets made or ever gets sold or ever gets bought by anybody. Um, and then your idea can be stolen and uh, written into another slightly different screenplay and get made into a film before 
yours ever gets made. So it seems like there is a lot of uh, skullduggery and stuff like that to be wary of. So I, I, I'm mindful of it, put it that way. I wonder, does that mean that the people who get their screenplay published, those people, are are they people who have connections who people people they trust in the industry already who don't screw them and then get that idea through whereas if you don't have any connections maybe people are more likely to to seal your idea i wonder is is that the case mm, it seems to be all about connections definitely and it's about getting it seen getting the screenplay seen by somebody important and who has uh, who has power and who has autonomy and that type of thing. I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder did Quentin Tarantino have connections from the start? Because uh, after having watched his second uh, screenwriting movie, uh, True Romance, the other week, um, I was just struck by the the amount of Hollywood stars that had agreed to go on in in for cameos and stuff. So there seemed to be a buzz around Quentin Tarantino very early on in his career. So I wondered was one of the reasons he got into it due to his connection. Well, what happened with Quentin Tarantino was Harvey Keitel saw the screenplay for Reservoir Dogs and decided to do the film for virtually no money and completely got behind it and organized the castings and helped him produce the film, basically. And if, if it hadn't have been for Harvey Keitel, who at the time was kind of a struggling middle-aged actor who hadn't been in too many high-profile films um, since the 70s or 80s, um, and this was the early 90s, obviously. If it hadn't been for Harvey Keitel, Reservoir Dogs may never have taken off, and then Quentin Tarantino's directing career may never have taken off either. So it was massively due to the influence of Harvey Keitel that he was successful with Reservoir Dogs. Absolutely. So I will uh, lead us home on the final kernel of wisdom, and that is from a an entrepreneur called uh, Cameron Winklevoss. He is one of the Winklevi. Uh, twins who was mentioned in the Facebook social network movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, they they were mocked in that movie um, because there was this dispute with them and uh, Mark Zuckerberg over who created Facebook and they were kind of taking the piss out of in that movie as two robotic rowers. Um, But in fact, it was them who came up with the Facebook idea and Zuckerberg stole the idea. and then he cut them out of the business <laughs> and he had to give them a payout years later. So the way it's portrayed in the movie, it doesn't reflect the reality. Um, and then they went in to, uh, so, so they got a payoff from Zuckerberg um, and then they put all their money into Bitcoin. So they were one of the earliest investors in Bitcoin. And because they got in so early and they had quite a lot of capital behind them, they became billionaires through through bitcoin so they kind of got their own back at uh, zuckerberg and he went on then in recent years to try and create his own cryptocurrency called libra Um, and that is basically it's unlike other cryptocurrencies it's centralized so it's controlled by him so facebook would have all the data of people using that currency whereas bitcoin is is the opposite there's no there's no central authority in charge so so they so it's interesting how their battle between zuckerberg and the winklevi is continuing to go on but that's just a backstory to who cameron winklevoss is but i tweeted him this week because he is uh someone i admire uh who is a I'm, i'm into bitcoin so um he commented on Twitter. He was talking about the the kind of purchasing power and the value of money in society. So normal money that we have, like euros or USD dollars, sorry, uh, or pounds, like that's that's sometimes referred to as fiat currency. So he was he was talking about that, and he was talking about the economy in general. And he said the stock the stock market has decoupled from reality and is now coupled to quantitative easing, which I'll explain in a minute. Infinite growth is now possible. Um, and then I said, hey, Cameron, do you think that after the recovery from the coronavirus that we will see hyperinflation of assets? And Cameron, Cameron Winklevoss actually replied. So a famous person replied to me and he said, you won't see inflation until people go back to buying stuff. The stage is certainly set. Um, so that's <laughs> the kernel of truth is what Cameron Winklevoss said. You won't see inflation until people go back to buying stuff. The stage is certainly set. Now, I have to explain a little background to this is that when there was the crash in 2008 or 2009, that's when quantitative easing really took off. Basically, it boils down to increasing the supply of money. 
So printing, when central banks, the people in charge of the money, print more money to get the economy going again. So, so they basically print it out of thin air. This is, the, this is where my knowledge of economics falls drastically um, because I, I don't understand that aspect of when it's appropriate to print money, when it isn't, and how they judge that. But anyway, continue. Those decisions are, are handed to the government and the central banks aligned to those governments who are supposed to be independent. But in 2008, all of the the reaction of the governments and central banks around the world was basically to print more money. So if you can imagine yourself playing Monopoly and you have the houses around the Monopoly board and the houses have a certain price. Um, so let's let's imagine that the prices of the houses, unlike in Monopoly, they actually, they're not fixed and they actually react to, to demand. So, so let's imagine everybody has a certain amount of money, you're playing Monopoly, and then if, if you were given twice the amount of money you had, so everybody has more money, so the reaction of that is, is for the house prices to go up. So the more, the more money you print, the more people are able to spend, but what you can actually buy with that money goes down because the price of the assets like houses goes up. So I've been finding this really interesting with the coronavirus. Uh, but if you if you Google quantitative easing and what it is, you'll learn about it, how it came in, like from the 2008, 2009 crisis. And basically what it is, is it kicks the, the can down the road because it, it says that the economy has crashed. So what we're going to do is throw more money into it. And to get that money into the society, you actually deva- it actually devalues what, the, what people can buy with the money. And that eventually leads to... to uh, huge inflation of all the assets. So like if they print more money that's fine but how is that distributed? Um, no, I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> because like they, they could print 800 million euro but like doesn't somebody have to earn that buy it buy something for it spend it well, how, did they, how does it get into the economy where does it what instigates it how does it get pushed into it? My understanding is that the, the way it's, it's put into the economy is through borrowing so the central bank lends it to people and they make the lending conditions very favorable so very low interest rates that so you don't have to pay back more than you uh, borrowed and that encourages people to want to borrow more and because people are borrowing more more money is needed to be printed the monopoly analogy helps me understand it as someone who's who's kind of learning about this stuff but but what's what's interesting if going back to today is that the recession is going to end sometime then everybody will be kind of want to spend again but the price of houses and stocks and everything people fear that it's it will, they'll skyrocket even more than they are now because it's it's the natural consequence of everyone having money around the the monopoly board and if you keep giving people more and more money then the, the prices of the the assets of the houses or whatever will keep going up very good okay good stuff there well you did well for somebody who isn't an expert i have to say uh, <laughs> i tried to shoot that into <laughs> drunken conversations for the last four years <laughs> <laughs> nobody was biting no so thank you for for indulging me i hope i didn't bore the listener too much and yeah there we go. That's going to wrap it up for this week, I reckon, for the Feckin' Check-In, episode two. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with further um, points shoehorned into an awkward acronym, F-E-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have been Professor T. No, I haven't, because that's not my name anymore. Uh, so I'm trainer. He's to me. This has been the Feckin' Check-In. Any final words to me? Feck off. Okay.